There it is. It's 9.07 at WCPF AM 680 and FM 98.5. Remember, as I say, each and every night to set one line on your automobile, the AM line. It's AM 680 and the FM line, 98.5, and you'll be able to hear WPTF and keep up with the news and the traffic and, uh, well, everything. And you'll be able to hear the Tom Kearney Show. Yours truly, Tom Kearney. I'm here every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 with a little bit of live and in real-time radio with a potpourri of different kinds of programs. Uh, and uh, last night we had the necrology for the month of June, a necrology, of course, for those of you who don't want to look it up in the dictionary. It's a list of those who have passed away but deserve to be remembered, and Dr. Edward Funkhauser presided over that. And tonight we're going to have a dialogue. Uh, between myself and my brother, uh, we were both uh, uh, students of history. And uh, when I, when he was about 10 years old, Mrs. Kearney and I gave him an uh, American Heritage book about the American Civil War. Now, I'm not saying that this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't given him the book, but he became a, an aficionado of the of Civil War, and he and I have spent many hours talking about it. And we're going to talk about a particular thing tonight not because we just need something to talk about, but because I like to remember anniversaries. Uh, the day Elvis died, the day that John F. Kennedy was shot, etc. And uh, January, not January, July, one, two, three, the first three days of July in 1863 were the days that the Battle of Gettysburg, regarded by many to be part of the turning point of the American Civil War and a part that determined uh, what the future of America would be the direction in which it would go. And on January 4th, I'm going to say January all night, it's July 4th, the day after that, July 4th, 1863, a titanic battle and confrontation that had been going on in the state of Mississippi concluded with a Union victory at Vicksburg and uh, gave uh, the federal armies the control of the the Mississippi River. And uh, those two things happening right back-to-back, right together, are regarded by historians as really the turning point of the Civil War. Well, not really the turning point, but the point be where it was the case that the, the, the Confederate armies were probably going to lose. And it was clear two years were required to play out the denouement of the situation until April of uh, 1865. But it was pretty much the fates were sealed at that particular point. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, to commemorate and remember those dates and to kind of uh, maybe inform a little bit of what what was going on. Stephen, are you there? Good evening. All right. Have you heard what I said? Have I given, given an acceptable introduction so far, do you think? Sure, yeah. Everything after these two dates is essentially a, a, a change. It's a watershed event, and everything moves away from it toward the eventual surrender of mathematics and and everything that follows. And so, yeah, you, you characterize it correctly. Okay, well, what we're going to do tonight, I think, is uh, get a little background on, 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 the, on the river, on the Mississippi River, the father of waters is, I think, what it was called. I think Abraham Lincoln is supposed to have said, Stephen, I'm sure you may have seen this quote, that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, the situation at Vicksburg and the river itself was the... Was the uh, the, the uh, openness to the to the central part of America, and and it was the key to the uh, to the success of the Union effort to defeat the Confederacy and uh, 
he wanted to make sure Lincoln did that the key was in the pocket of uh, of the Federals. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. I'm sorry. Go at ahead. the time, it, at the time it happened, he and we're talking about that after the Battle of Gettysburg, particularly the Battle of uh, Vicksburg, the siege and the surrender of the city. He said something to the effect of the Father of Waters uh, rolls unvexed to the sea, and uh, which means essentially that it was no longer blocked by uh, by the Confederacy. Essentially, we're going to do a little little background because the. Western uh, theater of the war is not as familiar to most people as the Eastern theater, and then uh, shuffle in, uh, meld in the conditions in the East. Uh, for one thing, the West was much bigger, a lot more territory had to be covered, and what the Mississippi did was to serve as what, the role that an interstate highway would have today, and that it was, it was the easiest way to move goods. In fact, waterways were largely the only way to move a lot of goods because the, the, the road systems, uh, the motivation, horses and wagons and so on, just could not do it as quickly. And uh, so the, the river itself was uh, a key to the connection with uh, the, the outside world. Uh, and uh, we're, going to, we're talking about the Mississippi River. Basically, when we talk about it in terms of strategy during the Civil War, we're talking about the river from Cairo, Illinois, which is the point that the Ohio River flows into the Mississippi, down to uh, where it uh, enters the Gulf of Mexico at New Orleans. And, uh, of course, that is that runs through the south. But right away, uh, the, uh, the uh, federal um, Navy went about trying to capture as many points on the river. And, and what it amounts to here is that that Vicksburg is the last one left, but but it does control a significant part of the river. Uh, Stephen, uh, you want to talk for a moment? I know you and I talked a little bit about it, about the Anaconda plan that uh, President Lincoln put into effect. Yeah, one of the things that's overlooked, especially by a person like me who was just entranced by the battles, Tom, and, and one of the really good things about spending some time later on in life is you get to learn a lot about other things other than you know, just the battles themselves. And uh, in the period of time leading up to uh, the establishment of hostilities and the actual firing on Fort Sumter and, and what happened thereafter, uh, the, the general of the Army, the Union Army, was a hero of the Mexican War, Tom, one of the heroes, and it was a man named Whitfield Scott. And he was the, the head of all the Army, the Union Army at the time, or at that time simply the American Army. And uh, as it appeared that the 11 states of the Confederacy were going to secede, he proposed what's known as the Anaconda Plan. And the Anaconda reference is, is apt here, Tom, in that it's uh, making reference to a, a very large snake that um, uh, kills its prey, Tom, by wrapping them up and essentially squeezing them to death. At least that's my understanding. I'm not the, uh, the animal person here, but that's how what I understand about the Anaconda. There's some great movies made out there about big snakes, Tom, but that's what I understand. And the idea that it had, Tom, was is that there would be a blockade around the Confederacy of, of the uh, the waterway around the Confederacy, as well as the Mississippi River. And the, the idea further was is that this blockade would squeeze the Confederacy tightly and not allow supplies and men and material from foreign countries as well as from other sections of the Confederacy to travel on the waterways that were available. And, and it worked, Tom. And it, and it did work. Well, gradually over the next 
three or four years. During the war, gradually uh, the federal uh, Navy was able to capture Mobile, for instance, and New Orleans. Uh, David Farragut, I think, was the admiral that captured New Orleans in April of 1862. And, and, and indeed, one of the stories in the eastern theater of the war and in North Carolina that we're familiar with is the very last port of any size that was open to bringing goods in, uh, and it was blockaded, but but they had blockade runners, was the port of Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was finally uh, captured in, in, I think, early 1865, and it was finally closed off, and, and a lot of supplies for uh, General Lee's army, which was in the state of Virginia, were coming up through the Wilmington and Weldon Railroad. One of the things we ought to say, I, I was trying to make a point, is that the West is a huge territory without... Without, with only rivers as highways, and so the rivers were important. In the east, there, there was much less territory that had to be covered, and if one thinks about it, and, and I will have occasion to today, uh, General Lee basically never left the state of Virginia except in the, the effort that we're going to talk about tonight to go into the north to relieve some of the pressure on, on Vicksburg. And that's what we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about next, Stephen, if that's all right with you. But we need to sure. take a break now. We need to take a break, so All right. get ready, and we'll, we'll go for that and see how things are going in the east, and then we'll go back to the west and, and so on. Tom Kearney here talking with Stephen Kearney tonight about uh, an anniversary reflecting on the, the, the battles, two of them, which were, were coincidentally uh, taking place at about the same time, or at least their conclu- conclusions were in July of 1863, that would be the turning point of the Civil War and the point beyond which the, the cause of the South uh, and the Confederacy was, in fact, pretty much militarily lost. And we'll come back and look at that right after this. We're not very far away from July the 1st, day after tomorrow. It's uh, Thursday, Friday, and uh, Saturday will be January, July of 1, 2, 3, and then it will be the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg way back in 1863. And uh, Sunday, which is, by the way, in this case, Independence Day, and we'll have some special programming for that probably tomorrow night, uh, our annual homage to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, will is the anniversary of the conclusion of the siege and Battle of Vicksburg, one of the most significant battles of the Civil War, and it went combined with uh, with the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, really the turning point for uh, the question of success in the war. And I'm talking with my brother Stephen, who is a Civil War aficionado and knowledgeable about things like this, about that tonight. And uh, Stephen, I think what we probably ought to do is to talk us just a few minutes more, a couple of minutes about uh, about the river and the fact that the uh, uh, the uh, Federals had gradually claimed control of the river, except for Vicksburg. There, you, know, you mentioned Island Number Ten, which is up uh, near north of Memphis, and Memphis, and and all the other places that could be controlled along the way. But uh, Vicksburg, which was a small town, but I think they had a string of about five or six forts there. I, you may know better than I did about that. It was only kind of a bluff, so that it looked down on the river and. The guns that were mounted there could uh, control who could go by. And once in a while, the the uh, Federals had tried to sneak by in the night, but that didn't work. And so 
what they've got to do, what the Federals have got to do, is to capture Vicksburg so they'll have total control of the Mississippi, and the, and the Confederacy will not have it, and it will, in effect, split the Confederacy. And uh, does that sound like an accurate description of what's going on? Yeah, sure, Tom. Uh, there's a couple of different things are happening, and, and uh, we, this is one of the first times, at least in terms of the, the American waterway, the Great American Waterway, that being Mississippi, is, is dealing with the United States Navy. And earlier, as you pointed out in a conversation we had this afternoon, uh, David Farragut, who's, I think, a Commodore, Tom, uh, but certainly he was uh, uh, one of the ranking officers of the United States Navy, had captured the city of New Orleans, and he's famous for saying, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. And the torpedoes then were not fired by submarines, but were what we would think of as being sort of like uh, mines under the water. Uh, but he had captured New Orleans. So the mouth of the Mississippi is essentially in Union hands. And remember, we're following the Anaconda plan about trying to, to shut off the waterway. And um, Ulysses S. Grant actually begins to get his uh, his reputation and the legend begins here. He, he starts up at Island Number 10, Fort Donaldson, which is where he earns the unconditional surrender grant. Uh, moniker, Tom, and then he works his way down the Mississippi. Vicksburg is at a particular place in the Mississippi where it essentially controls the traffic through the north down to the mouth, and of course, if you're coming up the mouth of the Mississippi, you're not going to get it very far before you encounter Vicksburg. It is, as you pointed out, located on very high bluffs over the Mississippi, which gave an advantageous firing point. Uh, for the Confederates down on Union gunboats that were floating by. uh, There's a fair amount of stories about how the Union gunboats had to try to run past the the guns at Vicksburg. And, and Tom, uh, the uh, General Grant uh, initially tries to attack Vicksburg head-on across the river, from the river, uh, by basically attacking the bluffs and found out he simply couldn't do that. It... um... I think Louisiana is across the river, and uh, he, in the effort to confront uh, uh, Vicksburg that way, just did not work. And of course, I'm, and I'm, I think you should go with what you're you're doing with now, because Grant is going to make his reputation there. That's one of the ways that the tale of what goes on in the West is wrapped up with what goes on in the East. Is that because of the success that? Mississippi, 
on the land side. And he's got two problems, Tom. He still has to, to capture Vicksburg, but he has to get rid of Joseph E. Johnson or at least put him in his place because if he, he comes up and attacks uh, Vicksburg from the east, which is what his intention is, Joseph E. Johnson's 20,000 Confederates are going to be in his rear. And so he, he basically confronts that group of Confederates at Jackson, Mississippi, which is the capital of Mississippi, Tom. He's able to defeat them there and then turns eastward to Vicksburg and uh, attacks Vicksburg from the land as opposed to from the water side, Tom, and eventually lays siege, siege to the city. And this uh, this is going on in, uh, let's see if I can get it right, in like uh, maybe May and April of uh, uh, 1863 because uh, I, I made a point to check the timeline and the, the so-called siege of Vicksburg, I think, starts on May 17th and runs through July, July the 4th. It's 47 days that uh, the, uh, the uh, Grant's army uh, has, has uh, uh, Vicksburg surrounded and, uh, and sealed up so that they, they, they can't get in, but they, the, the, the Confederates can't get out either. And then what they start doing is just shelling it mercilessly uh, so that uh, one, one is not going to get much sleep in Vicksburg for the next 47 days. Well, the whole idea of a siege, of course, Tom, is to cut off all supplies, food, water, what have you, and to basically make it untenable. In other words, you can't live there, and you can't, therefore you can't maintain a, a military establishment that would allow you to keep control of the Mississippi River, and he basically starved them out and squeezed them out of existence. Can we stop for a moment, because we have a news coming up, and this is a good good place to stop, because after we do the news, we're going to go eastward and talk about what's going on there, because part of what General Lee decides to do is determined by an effort to try to give some relief to Vicksburg. Uh, and that's going to be the case when we come back after we check the news on WPTF, where Stephen Kearney is our guest, and we're talking about the American Civil War. With a potpourri version of the Tom Kearney Show, and tonight we're commemorating the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg and the Battle and the Siege of Vicksburg, which were happening uh, for at least three days at about the same time. The Battle of Vicksburg, as we've tried to demonstrate, had a long timeline because the siege of Vicksburg in the state of Mississippi and the effort to seize it from its control over the Mississippi River had begun back on May 17th, but it resolved itself on July 4th, 1863, and the, the days immediately before that were the three days that what is generally regarded as the major battle of the Civil War, where armies confronted each other. Stephen, are you there? Stephen? Yes, sir, I'm here. Okay, I was going to say, I, I, I watched a thing on YouTube today, and it had Ken Burns on it, you know, the guy who did the Civil War uh, documentary, and he said, uh, it's something that I had never thought about, but it's probably true, is that Gettysburg was probably the greatest battle ever fought in the Western Hemisphere, because of the, it was the largest one in terms of the number of people involved in it. And But I never I thought of it. I think that's probably correct, Tom. In, that, in those terms. Well, we get, we get to talk now about the battle in the East, which is what usually gets, as you, I think, observed earlier in this program, gets most of the press. But uh, there's a con in this conjunction of the, the fall of 
uh, Vicksburg and the conclusion of the Battle of Gettysburg, it, it brings them, them together. And what what uh, the fall of Vicksburg does for the career of uh, Ulysses S. Grant as, uh, is going to bring him to the east where, where the war will be ultimately resolved. But it's going to take a couple more years. But we need to talk a little bit about the background. Of, uh, and you you follow along here and and, 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 and stop me where I, if you think I'm going wrong or, but uh, I'm I'm thinking back. Uh, well, one of the things is that, that General Lee had decided back in 1862 to uh, invade the North, and the idea was to to threaten the North uh, in some way so that the citizens of the North would politically decide that what President Lincoln ought to do is is just let the South go and forget it, you know, and, and so on. But he had started to invade the North, but he ended up confronting federal forces at uh, a place called Antietam, and it turned out to be a bloody mess for both sides. And more people killed in one day than any other day in American history in terms of military, and he never made it uh, across the border into Pennsylvania. Are you with me so far? Yeah, Tom, there's a similarity between the two battles there. Uh as he moved for north in, uh, in 1862 and went to Antietam, which is the name of the stream or river that's near the town of Sharpsburg, Maryland. Uh, the Civil War battles are named differently depending on how, what perspective you're looking at them from. Uh, he needed to bring his forces together at that town because uh, it turns out that a copy of his orders had been lost, and he was spread out, and he needed to bring his forces together. And he, rather than continue north, he brought them together in Sharpsburg. Well... What we're going to discover is that he's also spread out again here during the month of June, but it's in the, the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, as I think you're about to, to, to say, Tom, that there is a tie between what's happening in the East and and what we just talked about in the West. And and part of this is is that uh, Robert E. Lee, the, the Confederacy thinks Robert E. Lee can do no wrong, and he's He's done pretty good so far, even though the, the Battle of Antietam was essentially a stalemate. Um, in 18, late 1862, Tom, in the Battle of Fredericksburg, he just mowed his troops, mowed down the Union soldiers at the, the base of Mary's Hill in Fredericksburg. And then in May of 1863, which is just a little bit before the period we're talking about, the greatest, uh, or what's considered to be the greatest Confederate victory happened when Stonewall Jackson goes on a flanking march and surprises uh, the one of the wings of the Union Army and completely rolls it up and forces them to retire in chaos from the battlefield. And I think that's what you were going to be talking about. That's exactly, it's obvious that great minds running the same track. That's exactly what happened. And of course, it was at that battle that Jackson was killed by his own troops, but it, Chancellorsville was a great victory. And so it would be safe to say that uh, the Confederates under Lee were kind of on a roll, so to speak. And then they looked to the West and they saw that um, that Vicksburg was being menaced uh, at, the, at the very time, just about the time the Battle of Chancellorsville was over. And so I think it was at that point that uh, Lee decided to take his army and to, to, to go again, virtually the same route, into uh, to. In fact, they camped at, at Antietam uh, the night before they started moving into Pennsylvania, and they were going to try to get to Harrisburg, the capital of, uh, of Pennsylvania, and threaten maybe Philadelphia and uh, uh, once again try to convince the, the northern population that the best thing to do would be to end this war. I think that's how he thought it would it would happen. 
it, it would be it would be a political thing that would happen. But well, as as he, you know, they're filling your oats, so to speak, Tom, and uh, yeah. they really believe that the, the Confederate Army believes it can do no wrong and it's going to win every battle it fights. And Lee begins to believe that, I believe, and and uh, there's some talk, Tom, because. Vicksburg is drawing a lot of attention to the Confederate government, and uh, there is some talk, I believe, of maybe that Lee should go down there, and maybe he should take his army and go down there and, and whoop Grant down there and save Vicksburg, and, and instead he comes up with a different plan that he thinks is hopefully going to alleviate some of the pressure on Vicksburg, and the points that he, he makes of his plan is, first of all, as, as you've said, he's going to go north. Uh, one aspect of this is to relieve the state of Virginia of this war burden for, for two plus years, most of the battles in the eastern that have mattered in the eastern theater have taken place in the state of Virginia, and it's pretty much beat up, Tom. Uh, basically, so, basically between Washington, D.C., and Richmond, which was the capital of the Confederate, which is about 90 miles. That, uh, right, uh, and, and there's about four rivers, Tom, that cross this, period, this section of the country, and they all are just, if you read a lot of Civil War literature, you're going to run into these rivers. But this all happens in about a 90-mile stretch of, of, of territory in Virginia. He's hoping to defeat the Union Army on its own turf, too, Tom. This is, you know, he wants to take the fight to them. He wants to do it on in their land. Well, uh, let me say here, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm say that. Tom, something that, would, that when you're a person who studies battlefields and battles, you don't really think about, but... There was a move afoot among northern politicians that they were ready for the war to end. They they didn't like it. I think they're called Copperheads, Tom. But right, that's right. Um, but, but there's you know there's some politicians up there who want the war to end. And and Lee says a victory on uh, northern soil would put pressure on the uh, northern politicians to stop prosecuting the war, so to speak. And right. also uh, there's still hope among the Confederacy that they're going to get foreign recognition, especially from England. And the only way they're going to do that is if they get a victory that's big enough that says to the foreign people, the, the South is going to win the war, you should come in on their side. And a loss at some place like uh, Vicksburg is not going to encourage that the, the, the decision because what it's going to do is close, close off Confederate trade completely. There's, there's going to be no way to get things in or out. But something kind of weird happens uh, as Lee moves... Uh, West around Washington and trying to get into into Pennsylvania is that parts of his army that he had, there, there were no orders lost this time. Uh, uh, right, the, his actions are not being read, but his several pieces of his army have made it as far as Carlisle Barracks, which is near the capital. They're fur, much further into Pennsylvania than than the major part of the army is uh, at this at this particular point, and. Uh, uh, on the other side, on the federal side, they have just dismissed Joseph Hooker as the leader of the federal army, and they've got to replace him with somebody else. And just about the time that Lee is moving into Pennsylvania, uh, General George Meade becomes the head of the Union Army. Are, are we all right so far? But yeah, they, he's a corps commander, and uh, they're trying to find somebody who can take Lee on and, and beat him, Tom. And of course, the real guy is still out west, but right. uh, the, he, he, the, he hasn't won the Battle of Vicksburg yet. But but Meade hasn't right. even gotten to his army. And the the thing that we have to, that, that we have to remember is that what happened at Gettysburg was not supposed to happen there. The, the, no, it was not. The, the troops from both sides bumped into each other, 
and started fighting, and, and Lee decided, well, we better get our mess on over there and see if we can't confront them. And and uh, and uh, George Meade got there, I think, on the second day. He wasn't even there the first day, if I remember correctly, but, but he, he had... Uh, some important aides and some people who knew knew what things were about, and I'm thinking Winfield Scott Hancock here, Stephen, who was the, one of his under-commanders. But, uh, well, there's, they, there's uh, a lot of detail we're sort of leaving out here, Tom, but we just don't have time to go into it. But oh, yeah. The yeah. Confederate Army is north of Gettysburg, and it's a raid, really, at all points of the compass. And, and uh, uh, But some of it is around Gettysburg, and, and the, uh, the Union cavalry, which has been reformed under Hooker, into its own unit, has uh, one of the commanders of, of part of that is a man named Buford, John Buford. And uh, Buford has looked at the land around Gettysburg, and he has said that if, we're, if a battle is to be fought, that this is where it ought to be fought at. And uh, his troopers are carrying, um, uh, repeat, I think they're called repeating carbines, Tom, but they're, they're fast-firing guns. And so he gets them off their horses and lines them up, and uh, on July 1st, Tom, uh, A.P. Hill's Corps, uh, through uh, the division of a man named Henry Hess, uh, kind of comes into to Gettysburg, and they stumble into John Buford's dismounted Union cavalry, and uh, they start a battle, Tom. And that's exactly it. Now, A.P. Hill's troops will not, his whole corps will not get there. They're actually at... at uh, Harbor's Ferry, which is not too far away, and they will arrive uh, later at an opportune time. But in any event, uh, the battle rages through the streets of Gettysburg, and with the Federals ending up on a cemetery or seminary. seminary. Right. It starts in the northern part of the town, and the Confederates are attacking from the northwest and north. And uh, Richard Ewell, for instance, is up to sort of directly north northeast, and he comes down and they, they attack the Union forces and drive them through the town of Gettysburg. And south of Gettysburg are two ridges, Tom. One of them is cemetery and one of them is seminary. Seminary is so-called that because there is a, a, a school there, a seminary there, and uh, it's on a ridge. And on, opposite from it is a ridge. So Pennsylvania has some, some hilly areas, Tom, is a ridge known as Cemetery Ridge. And the Union forces coalesce after uh, being driven through the town on uh, Cemetery Ridge. Uh, in the early part of the day, John Reynolds, who's considered to be the best uh, Union general at the time, uh, he is killed early in the morning about uh, right between 10.30 and 11 o'clock. And um, what you alluded to, Tom, is that eventually Meade's still not there, but Winfield Scott Hancock, who's been one of the most able commanders of the Union Army, he arrives at the battlefield and basically... Uh, lines up um, the uh, the Union defenses and, and forms them into a fish hook, Tom, around Little Round Top, Culp Hill, and Cemetery Ridge. Well, we don't, we cannot reenact, uh, we need to take another break for one thing, but we cannot reenact the entire Battle of Gettysburg, but there are an awful lot of really good books about it. There's a wonderful uh, historical fiction book called Killer Angels by Michael Scherer that uh, I think Steve and both of us would recommend that. And there's, act and there's actually a movie, a Gettysburg movie, that uh, Ted Turner, I think, financed the, the production of it back in the 90s, 
which it the, really the follows. The book is a 1974 Pulitzer Prize winner for historical fiction, I think, Tom. Right, um, yeah, and it, it's a wonderful book, and there are a lot of wonderful books. There are more books about what goes on at Gettysburg than one would ever want to read. Uh, uh, there's one by a North Carolinian about the Confederacy, a man named Glenn Tucker called The High Tide of the Confederacy. But in any event, I would suggest that. But what we need to do is stop now because we're, we need to talk for just a few moments about the, the, where the, what happened at the Battle of Gettysburg in terms of the last day so that we know that the Federals won uh, and, uh, and that uh, we go to Gettysburg and we see that the, the siege is lifted and uh, the 29,000 uh, uh, Confederates that were under siege along with the citizens of Vicksburg were released, and the, the soldiers were promised not to join the army again. I don't know whether they did that or not, but uh, now the commander of the uh, federal forces at Vicksburg is famous, and he's going to take a trip. He's going to come to the east, and General Lee's going to take his army and go back, and we'll never venture uh, outside of northern Virginia or central Virginia again until Appomattox. But we can talk about that a little bit right after we take this break. Stephen Kearney, are you there? Um. John, can you back off the music there? Stephen, are you there? I'm here, Tom. Okay, we've got about three minutes left, and uh, I've talked more tonight than I, I should have and have not let you talk a whole lot. What, what would you, how would you sum up where we are here? Because I think maybe what you need to talk about is something you've already talked some about, and that is what happens to Grant now, because he's demonstrated that he... He can he can win. He can get a uh, unconditional surrender from from people, and he has he has a strategy that works. And he's going to come east, and he's going to apply it, uh, and he's going to basically back lead down the whole uh, length of the area between Washington and Richmond. Well, Tom, uh, very quickly, the day two and three of Gettysburg is incredible carnage and and uh, desolation, and at least both armies wrecked. And they really won't get back to fighting each other seriously until 1864. Uh, the um, the amount of casualties is somewhere in the neighborhood of 57,000 that's killed, wounded, or missing. But what happens as a result of this, as we've we've said, is is that Grant comes east, and he comes east by way of Chattanooga, and, and uh, first of all, there's a battle at Chickamauga, and then after that goes so poorly for the Union forces that Grant is put in charge of everything out west, and he comes and deals with the battle at Chattanooga, and eventually comes to Washington, D.C. What Grant understands, that, and it's hard to believe that they didn't understand this before, but instead of the point of everything being to cap, capture the capital of the opposing forces, in this case Richmond, Grant basically said and, and realized that the Confederacy existed as long as the Confederate armies were in the field. And he said to uh, himself, I'm going to go after Lee, and he told uh, William Tecumseh Sherman that he was to go after Joseph Johnson. Of course, Sherman eventually marches to the sea. And the whole idea was that they, they, from that point on, it was about destroying the Confederate Army and giving men and personnel and just uh, the overall, uh, overwhelming supplies of supplies, Tom. Uh, the Union forces were able to overcome the Confederacy and eventually obtain the surrender of Lee at Appomattox. And Johnson, uh, about 10 miles from Durham, I think, Tom. And Durham Station. Well, thank you for being with us tonight, and I hope this has been fun for you to do. I, I'm going to call you in a, in a few minutes, and we'll, we'll 
we'll do a resume uh, on, on the show, okay? Sure. Stephen Kearney has been our guest tonight. We've been talking about the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, 158 years, and the Battle of uh, Vicksburg, uh, July 1, 2, 3, in the case of Gettysburg, and July 4th in case of uh, Vicksburg, a uh, turning point of the American Civil War. <laughs> 